Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Live to see it, friends. You're listening to Fast Forward Radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network. Fast Forward Radio is an audio production of The Speculist, and you can find us online at speculist.com. That's S-P-E-C-U-L-I-S-T.com. Or you can go straight to the blog at blog.speculist.com. At The Speculist and on Fast Forward Radio, we talk about what's happening in the world right now and what we think is going to be happening in the world in the near future, and we're not afraid to take a kind of a contrarian view about that. We believe that uh, we're heading for a potentially very bright future, and we believe that if you're not excited about what's happening in the world and where the world is going, that you're just not paying attention. My name is Phil Bowermaster, and with me, as always, in the virtual studio is my co-blogger, co-futurist, and co-host, Stephen Gordon. Hey, Stephen. Hey, Phil. How are you? Well, I'm a little... Uh, I'm a little intimidated by our program this evening. I hey, go. man, it was it was your idea. I'm, I'm going to put it all on you. Okay, let's, let's get that on the record immediately, right? Yeah, let's, <laughs> we have decided. Resort to finger pointing, but uh, Phil came up with the, hey, let's solve all the world's problems idea. Okay. In one show. <laughs> In one yeah. show. Well, I, you know what? If you're going to solve all the world's problems, don't dilly-dally. That's my, that's my thinking. Take an hour, get them solved. And then go on to you know something else productive to do. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Now, I can just hear somebody that's you know like a critic of the show, you know, some imaginary critic of the show saying, "How arrogant are these guys? You know, if they think they're going to solve the world's problems tonight." Well, you know, it's sort of reverse arrogance to think that the problems can't be solved. You know, I mean, uh, we're living in a world now that would be unimaginable to people who came before us. You know, and so that's why not? Right. Yeah. You know, so why not believe that the uh, the problems that we have now can be solved? And uh, and which attitude is more helpful, you know? Uh, the attitude well, that says go. we can't do it or the one that says that maybe we can. And so, maybe hey, we let's... can solve these problems. And besides, uh, even, if, uh, even if our solutions come up less than completely thorough and uh, end up being implemented in all cases, um, I, the, the important thing about this exercise is that we're talking about it, that we're saying, hey, you know what, let's take a look at these uh, – Let's take a look at these issues and let's uh, let's let's see what could be done about them. So we stimulate some thinking, and hopefully we stimulate some thinking amongst ourselves, and amongst our uh, listeners, and amongst uh, those who choose to call in, if anyone does, and of course those who participate in the chat room. Speaking of which, uh, we've also got Michael Darling with us this evening. Michael, how are you? I'm on top of the world, gentlemen. Good evening. We, we ought to do a that. shout out to Harvey and Matt. They're uh, they're in the chat room with you there, Michael. And uh, <laughs> yeah, we we expect we expect to uh, uh, these guys are going to have to contribute too. If we're going to solve the world's problems in an hour. Yeah, Matt, Harvey, come on, guys, step up. Okay, if we're going to solve the world's problems in an hour, we need everybody's participation. And anyone else who uh, who's listening, uh, get in the chat room or give us a call because we're gonna we're gonna need some help. So let me I'm going to back up and talk a little bit about what we mean by all this for anyone who's listening who uh, hasn't read the description or wonders what we mean. But uh, before I do that, I just want to do a quick uh, uh, greatest movie summer uh, in 23 years. Is that right? 26 years? Ooh, what was it, 81? I think it was 81 was the great summer before. But, yeah, in all these years, this is the greatest one since then, yeah. Check in. Um, Went to see uh, The X-Files I Want to Believe yesterday. Oh, that came out this weekend? I didn't realize that was out. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I was just too busy out. taking the kids to Space Chimps. <laughs> but <laughs> I saw the poster for Space Chimps. Um, how was that? <laughs> well, I, I'm sorry to get off the X Files subject, but uh, Space Chimps was cute. It was a, uh, it was a, uh, it was a kids movie in the truest sense of the word. Unlike, uh, say, Wall-E, which was, you know, the perfect movie for everybody. Uh, Space Chimps was seriously a kids movie, and uh, I actually. Uh, not at all for once in the movie, but 
lots of, lots and lots of chimp puns. Uh, if you if if you have a low tolerance for puns, then uh, <laughs> like steer clear. But it was cute. Right. Or if you don't have a small child who needs to go see this, you might just want to skip space. Yeah, that's right. It's it's one that can definitely wait until you have a small child present. But that's yeah, tell us about X Files. Was it any good? Well, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go on the record saying that I think that uh, two thirds of the uh, members and uh, three quarters of the critics on Rotten Tomatoes are wrong, and that uh, X Files uh, I want to believe is actually a very good movie. Good. Um, I, I think. I always like that I, I think it, it, it suffers from a couple things. It suffers from being. Um, uh, I, I think it suffers from two different sets of expectations that are that are that are causing people to. Uh, to say they don't like it. I mean, you know, I'm not going to argue with somebody's aesthetic experience. They don't like the movie, fine. But um, I, I think it's, it's, you know, it's this very low-key, deadpan X-Files type thing. If you remember the TV show, yeah. how that worked. Well, that's, that's what the movie's like. That's what the first movie was like, and that's what this one is like. And if you've just watched The Dark Knight and then you watch this, it's a, it's an awfully different approach to storytelling, you know. Well, um, if, if you want somebody that's uh, you know an exciting person to watch, you better go get somebody other than David Duchovny. Well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't I, I don't mean that so much even as a diss, but he just plays the character a, a deadpan very well. That's what he does. Both are deadpans, and then he makes the occasional wry joke, and you get a little chuckle out of it. He's yeah. Not he's not a big flamboyant character, and obviously Scully's the same way, even less on the humor side, right? She's just this very serious, very deadpan person. That's this, is, this is a show about bureaucrats, you know, and the paranormal. And they're, and the reason it works is because they're so dry and so bureaucratic and, and me, meeting up with this weird stuff, you know. Right. Well, so, I don't want to give too much away, but uh, to say they're bureaucrats is not entirely correct. Okay. So uh, at, at this point in their lives, it does pick the story up a few years later, and some things have changed. Okay. Um, and I, I like what they did. I, if, if you watch the X-Files series all the way through, you, you know that things had changed radically in their lives anyway. And now things have kind of come into more of a, you would think, well, okay, eventually things have to calm down and they have to be leading more or less normal lives. And so Scully's got her life and Mulder's got his life. And they're, they're not doing what they were doing before exactly. But, of course, they, 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 get, uh, they, they get dragged into this murder case. And, and the other set of expectations, in addition to the fact that it's very different from a movie like uh, the Dark Knight is there were if you were a fan of the show you know there were basically there were two kinds of X Files episodes there were the the episodes that followed the whole myth mm-hmm. arc of of the show right and then there were the filler episodes that we called the MOWs the Monster of the Week right right now this epi- this movie is an MOW okay okay it, it, it's not unlike, unlike the first movie, the first movie was trying to deal with the mythology and really trying to settle the whole thing, wasn't it? That's right. Yeah, the the, the first well, actually, the, the the first movie gets you to a place where later in the series they tell us that everything will be resolved in the year 2012, which I think yeah. we talked about on the program a couple weeks ago. So I think that there should be a third X Files movie coming up here in about three and a half years. Um, that that will. Uh, that will be back on the myth arc, and and that will, once and for all, I, I think, end the world. I don't know, or maybe Mulder and Scully will prevent the world from ending. But this was not that. This, this, this was this had nothing to do with UFOs. It had nothing to do with government conspiracies. And so I think if people were going in expecting all that, they might have been uh, taken a little askance because uh, they either weren't expecting or didn't know or had forgotten that you know a lot of great X Files episodes had to do with like Chupacabra or. Remember the fluke? The, 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 yeah, yeah, and there was there was a couple episodes involving just random vampires and things like that. You know. I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. The guy who was like half man, half fluke. He's like swimming through the sewers and coming out and eating. Yeah, that was fun like, stuff too. I mean, that was that, those could be just as fun as as uh, the mythology episodes. Although yeah, I always well, felt were. I always felt like you know at the end of a monster of the week episode, I, if only they would have thrown me a little bit of a bone on the myth. You know. Uh, yeah. And sometimes they did. In the middle of a Monster of the Week episode, you might get some little hint of something. But um, anyway, yeah, that's that's. Uh, okay, that's, well, you, they they don't completely leave everything out. So you do you do have a couple references to the to the overarching arc of the story, but not much. Okay, not, not much. So. Okay, so anyway, well, I think it stands it stands as its own as a, as a fun thriller, and um, you know I've got kind of a Jones for Gillian Anderson, so the whole thing just worked for me in a big way. So. <laughs> Well, many of it, many of us do, Phil. So don't feel yeah, alone in know, that. Yeah, she's uh, 
she's quite a quite an actress. Yeah. So let's let's jump and unless we have other movie uh, topics. No, that's it. That's yeah. it. Uh, Space Chimps covered me this week. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, well, let's jump right into uh, solving the world's problems the speculist way. And let me give you let me give you the background on this. Um, two things actually inspired me to uh, introduce this topic tonight, and um, uh, X Files was not one of them. One of them was I was rereading this old uh, like business self help book, a, a book called The Magic of Thinking Big by David Schwartz, and he's he's talking about uh, exercises that he used to do with groups to get them thinking creatively uh, about solving problems. And he would give them this challenge. He would say, explain how all jails could be eliminated in the next 25 years. And so you'd have these groups, and people would invariably start throwing out, well, you, they couldn't. You know, crime is not going anywhere, and uh, we'll probably need more jails. And you, you'd get all the, uh, uh, all the reasons why that would be impossible, why it's a bad idea, why he's crazy. But he would insist, and he would say, no, no, assume it's possible. Assume it's possible. How could we do it? How could we eliminate jails in 25 years? And I guess over the years, uh, this, David Schwartz collected a, a really nice list of very creative ideas for how we might eliminate jails uh, in the near future. I don't think any of them have been implemented yet. But it, it goes to show that, uh, you know, even things that seem outrageous and preposterous if we get to thinking about it, there probably are solutions. Will they be implemented? Well, we need to we, we, we need to you know create a world where where those solutions do get implemented. But let's not be afraid of um, taking on big problems and putting some creative thought around what might be a better approach to solving these than um, that than has been tried in the past. So that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to spend a show talking about how in our lifetimes we could. And here's the list I came up with. We can we can edit this if we need to. Eliminate crime, abolish hunger and poverty, end terrorism, eradicate cancer, heart disease, AIDS, or the big killer. Actually, uh, Michael had pointed this one out a while back. Is actually diarrhea, dysentery is the thing that kills more people than anything else. Uh, end war, and make the environment pristine. So I, I think that's a pretty good list of the major problems facing humanity would 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 you agree did i miss anything on that list um aging aging okay we and we could include that as uh maybe that's the big killer right yeah that the kills big killers dysentery and aging those are the two things that uh that uh that wipe people out right right and it doesn't help if you've got both so yeah <laughs> any right uh but yeah uh exactly exactly well you want to start with crime or what do you want to how do you want to start phil we can we can jump into this any which way you want to. As as we noted, we were talking amongst ourselves before the uh, before the program. We've really gotten in over our heads with the, uh, with this. We're going to have some fun, I think, talking about this, and we're really counting on listeners to uh, come through both with uh, with comments in the chat room. And if anyone wants to give us a call, you can call us at three four seven two one five eight nine seven two for your own out of the box solutions for these problems. But yeah, let's start with crime because I've got some. I've got various thoughts on that one, and we'll see if uh, we'll see if it stimulates some thinking with you guys. First off, what would you say? What is the current solution to crime? What are what are the uh, what are the remedies that we currently use? Well, we uh, we lock people up, um, and, uh, and that's that's really it. I mean, you know, we when somebody's convicted of a crime, they get locked up generally uh, if it's if it's a serious crime, and uh, they and, and how long they stay in jail often depends on. Uh, how serious uh, the crime is viewed to be, and so sure. we, that's, we have that's things a big like, deal. Yeah, we, we, uh, on the prevention side, I would add that we have locks and uh, you know lights and alarm systems and security systems of various kinds uh, to, to prevent crime from occurring. Um, right. And and you know police scattered around and things like that. And, and then on the once it occurs side, yeah, we lock people up, we put them in jail. And uh, then they're off the streets, and they won't commit crimes until they get back on the streets. But hopefully, we've the idea used to be that we, you know, uh, pe- people once in prison would be rehabilitated, and then when they came out, they would lead productive lives. I don't, I don't know how much of the correctional system in most states even adheres to that idea anymore. Uh, my dad worked in corrections back in the 70s, and they at least gave lip service to that at that time. I, I really don't. Yeah, know I, I think now the idea is well, they won't commit crimes while they're in jail. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. You I know, mean, at, le- at least not. You know, th- they may commit crimes to each other, but they won't. Uh, com- they they won't harm society as a whole if they're all locked away. And so, you know, that, I don't even think they even try to rehabilitate anymore. Uh, okay. So those are the in the box solutions to crime. Yeah. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna pose a, an out of the box solution. Well, before you do, Phil, can I uh, something that a lot of people don't realize is in the 90s, uh, crime fell off precipitously. I mean, I mean just violent crime particularly, um, you know, it, just, it went down like 53% in most areas. Then we're talking murder, rape, you know, the big ones, okay? Yes. And there is a theory, and it's and I, I've, I've read a paper on it, and it's pretty compelling to me that the reason is not that we all of a sudden got really good at, you know, um, scaring, scaring people straight or, uh, or rehabilitation or anything like that or... Um, or that our families got stronger, or some, you know, some reason like that. Instead, it was switching from leaded gasoline to unleaded gasoline in the 70s, and uh, and and the inner and, and urban children no longer. Yes, absolutely. Uh, urban children no longer being exposed to that much lead. Um, you know, during their formative years, when they hit the uh, the years that they you know you know age say 17 to 25. Those years that the people tend to be to commit more crimes, they had not been exposed to lead as children. Therefore, uh, they were not as prone to be criminal. That is fascinating. I've never heard that before. Absolutely. Um, if, if you've if you've read the book Freakonomics, uh, there's a completely different take on some related statistics that that would say, well, I, you know, they never talked about uh, unleaded gas. That's really interesting. Um, yeah. Their their take in that book is that. Um, the, the correlation is between the passing of Roe versus Wade, and once abortion on demand became available, um, the cohort, the generation, uh, the, 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 the cohort within the generation coming up that was most likely to become criminal was never born. Yeah. And the crime rate fell because they were not here with us to to commit the crimes because their their mothers had abortions along the way, which is this very. Uh, problematic conclusion to come to you know and and they write about it in the book that that this is not to suggest well that's a great idea so uh, therefore abortion was the you know the the uh the the solution to crime that 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 kind of social engineering would be the uh the 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 means of 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 preventing people from becoming criminals and uh and and solving our crime problem i think that um there's probably some truth to both of those. I think the unleaded gasoline is really interesting. So, so, so people exposed to lead were just more prone to be well. Like, le- like lead gives people, fever. yeah. Well, lead gives you gives you brain damage, and right. uh, the more and and if it knocks just a few points off your IQ, and apparently it, it uh, lead is particularly prone to making you. Uh, to damaging your brains in ways that make you violent. Uh, you know, I mean, there there are a lot of uh, people that have brain damage in one one form or another that are just the nicest people ever. You know, but uh, mm-hmm. but for something about lead, people that have their brains damaged by lead, um, it makes people violent. Um, and so, uh, the idea is that removing lead from the environment, and the biggest thing we did to remove lead from the environment is is move from Leaded gasoline to unleaded gasoline in the mid seventies to to the eighties. I think it was like eighty one, eighty two. Uh, all leaded gas was gone. And so um, interesting. Yeah. Well, I, I think I think there's there's probably something there. I think that probably uh, abortion on demand probably did have an effect. But I got to thinking about that one, and I came up with an idea that I don't like. Okay. But, but I think it it starts to push us in a direction that that would be better. Certainly, if if you take the uh, if you take the free economics solution. And they don't pose it as a solution, and they don't say that's you know therefore it's a good thing that Roe versus Wade got passed so that we can get rid of all those criminals. Uh, but but if you take that as a given, okay, you say all right, well that really worked. Um, by that generation, by, by the by the women most likely pr- to produce criminals not having children, you you you've cut crime substantially. What if you did that in a more positive way? Um, the the, the first more positive way I can think of to do that would be to say, well, you know what? We know we're spending a certain amount of money every year to incarcerate um, criminals. And, and we spend an awful lot of money uh, prosecuting them. We spend an awful lot of money tracking them down, chasing them down. So if you, if you were to 
if you were to direct efforts at the at the uh, generation producing the criminals, uh, you know, rather than telling them um, go have an abortion, what if you said uh, on a on a very negative scale, we will pay you whatever it is a fifth of of whatever it costs to incarcerate somebody for a year, which I think is uh, a couple hundred thousand dollars, some fraction of it, twenty five percent. For every year you don't get pregnant, right? You just demographically take the women who are most likely to produce criminals and you give them that check. Now, this is the idea I don't like, but how effective do you think that would be? Well, I understand the reason you don't like it. I mean, you you talk about an outcry. Uh, You know, (laughs) you you would be asking um, probably certain minority groups to stop having children. How would that go over? Yeah, yeah, you'd uh, have the government paying, yeah. Poor yeah. people, uh, and and yeah, blacks and Hispanics uh, disproportionately to the rest of the population, not to have kids. Yeah. So from a uh, from an implementation standpoint, I don't like it. And from uh, a, uh, I mean, consider and consider the history of uh, things like uh, um, you know the Tuskegee experiments, and the, uh, and and from the point of view of someone who's black who thinks now the government's paying us not to have children, then you know, um, and. Uh, you know, and and then con- the conspiracy theories that have already been passed around in black communities, things like, you know, they they're they're sterilizing us with KFC chicken and things like that. You know, so yeah, that's just not going to work. <laughs> I don't think it would work. I think it's I think it's a bad idea. How yeah. effective would it be though? Um, well, uh, not a, not very. Maybe we went fascist tomorrow and we could implement something like that and thought it was a good idea to implement something. I don't think it would. I, I don't think it would work either. I think that people yeah, would. I, I think the, the, prob- the problem with that is, and the problem with the abortion theory, is that it seems to me that if, um, if, if, if a criminal's not born in House A, he's going to be born next door. You know, I mean, it, 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 right? It, it's not just that a particular mother is likely to produce a criminal. It can't be that, uh, it, it can't be that simple. But it, but it does seem like if you, if you, if you stop with, um, if, if you don't go that step of saying, okay, therefore we're going to pay women not to have children, which I think would be abhorrent, and uh, bad public policy and just a, a bad idea from, from the get-go. But if you said, well, let's invest that money that we were going to spend on incarcerating and et cetera, and we'll put that into very specific pointed educational programs. Well, this um, is Harvey. Uh, uh, Harvey has is, uh, is, is come up in the chat room with something like this. Yeah, yeah. Harvey is saying in the chat room, education is the best birth control. Put lots of money into educational opportunities. But which exactly. education? Which educational opportunities are you talking about, Phil? Well, I'm talking about things that are uh, uh, that are that are targeted to uh, help these women who have been who have been identified as the as the you know the, the ones who are producing children who are at risk to end up in jail, right? Which is a bad thing that we don't want to have happen. Um, uh, to help them uh, develop economically, uh, to to help their kids develop e- economically. I think it would be kind of like uh, Head Start on steroids. I mean, that was really kind of the thinking behind Head Start, wasn't it? Right. Was exactly. To... Exactly. I don't yeah. know how uh, how useful Head Start has been. I've not seen any numbers on it, whether it's been good or completely ineffective. I, I don't know. Um, but I, I guess we Harvey should. Harvey says look... in areas of the world where women get education, the birth rate comes down. So maybe just actually just seeing to it that. Uh, that the, that the, the demographic that is the most likely to produce criminals, that that education become available to them, and that they're encouraged, uh, motivated, and given incentives to become educated, you you might make a huge difference. Some sort there. of some sort of GI bill without having to be a GI. Um, exactly. Maybe a maybe a Peace Corps bill. You know, uh, you you serve in some way. It doesn't have to be that you join the military, but you serve in some way, and in exchange for that, we. We pay for your education, which in turn pays us back even more. So, um, yeah, I, I like that. And, and 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 I want to point out that I'm not talking about a huge new government uh, spending program. I'm talking about uh, redirecting money that we would have spent later on incarceration. Right. We're spending the money more effectively. That's uh, that's my idea. And Harvey points out that Head Start prevents crime. Really. And I, I actually I I had. Uh, I had seen uh, stats to that effect too. Okay, so I think I, I think a positive educational type program is probably uh, a, a better uh, on the, you know, sociological preventing crime from occurring, and then on the uh, on the actual interdiction, uh, keeping crime from happening, kind of at the point of sale, at the point of crime, um, we have to look at 
uh, improvements in surveillance technology, uh, and I think artificial intelligence, robotics. I, I really think that you know robots are probably a big part of the uh, eventual solution to crime. I think that we'll have less crime in the future because it, it will just be that much harder to get away with it because the walls literally will have eyes. Um, and there's all kinds of issues around loss of privacy that are connected uh, with that. But um, and you won't have to have a human. You won't have to have a human uh, monitoring every video camera at all times. If you've got if you've got some sufficiently advanced AI, it'll see if something's up and and alert the right person. Exactly. Yeah. So so you address the you address the social causes on one end. Uh, you you put some really good uh, interdiction technology on the other end, and I would say. Within our lifetimes, we could have crime, if not completely eliminated, down to a tiny, tiny fraction of what it is now. Wonderful thing. Okay. My solution to crime. All right. All right. I, and I've got, I've got nothing that can compete with that. Uh, Michael, what you got? Well, first, I crashed in the chat, so I'm, uh, I've been blind to the chat. So thanks for recognizing that Harvey and Matt both were uh, had ideas there. Matt had pointed out that surveillance... Uh, as a way to at least decrease crime, maybe not eliminate, certainly helps. And I, I think I replied that, uh, yeah, as as people, we make better choices when we're social, socially better choices when we're in a social situation. And if you think no one's looking, you're not in a social situation. So but I got nothing else. The the problem with crime is that at the end of the day, uh, if people have choice, the ability to make choices, sometimes you're going to choose poorly. Yeah, I, I you know that's that's a good point. I mean, yeah, it, we, we, yeah, we, I, I, I could I could imagine a, a a completely totalitarian system where crime is virtually eliminated. But you know, it, um, it, I guess it depends to some extent. Well, how do you define crime? And um, you know, some some behavior may be outside of mainstream behavior and still not be criminal because maybe it's not hurting anybody. Right um, and. And nothing we've discussed will do anything about white collar crime. Right. No, nothing we've we've discussed is going to stop. Well, surveillance could uh, so, uh, surveillance could help with white collar crime as well. Oh, that's true. Uh, yeah. That's true. Uh, that's might, be, point. might be computer surveillance, but anyway, um, network surveillance. But uh, anyway, yeah, but you know what I mean. We're not going we're not going to introduce a big uh, Head Start type program in the <laughs> suburbs to make sure that <laughs> right <laughs> that your well, NBA I, doesn't grow up to be an embezzler. I, I don't think. Uh, well, it would be um, on the interdiction side, not on the prevention side. Well, embezzling has a totally different impact uh, on society than, uh, and, than than somebody being shot and killed. You know. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So I guess we were talking violent crime. Right. Okay. Okay. And All Michael's right, back, like Michael's in, the back in the chat room. <laughs> okay. So. Good. Life is good. Um, we're moving on. We're having some fun talking about uh, quick solutions to all the world's problems. This is Fast Forward Radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network. Phil Steven talking about solving problems. If you'd like to join us, uh, come on into the chat room and uh, help solve problems or give us a call at 347-215-8972. You know what I failed to mention, Stephen, is the big prize. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. The person who contributes the most are the, are the best, uh, e- either in the Let's chat. Let's go with the single best idea. Single yeah, okay. best idea. All right, uh, either in uh, the text chat or by calling in, then uh, they, they get a prize. What, and what is that prize, Phil? That prize will be an exclusive, first-ever, mint edition, fast-forward radio coffee mug. And, of course, when I say coffee, you can put hot chocolate, uh, herbal tea, whatever you like, but it's shaped like a coffee mug, and it's got the fast-forward radio logo on it. Of course, if you're American like I am, it'll be coffee, but... Well, it's certainly coffee. It'll certainly be coffee in my case. But uh, <laughs> I, I just I want our listeners to know that whoever wins this prize will be getting one of these before Michael, Stephen, or I even had one. You will be the first person ever to get a fast forward radio. And Phil, call. that's all it took. We've got a caller. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Hello, uh, welcome to Fast Forward Radio. Hello. Um, who's, who's calling? This is Harvey. Hey, Harvey. Harvey. How are you? Harvey, hey. welcome to the program. Well, uh, I was thinking uh, about water desalination technology and solar technology, and uh, I thought that uh, that uh, once there were huge uh, water desalination plants, 
that uh, water would uh, change the the world, and that that would be the most dramatic, uh, positive uh, technological development of the not too distant future. Well, Harvey, I love as, where you're going with this, Harvey, but you're going to have to address it to a particular problem. Which well, one here's here's the particular problem. I'm going to I want to address it for him. Okay, oh, Bill, okay. Uh, All right. The very next thing we're going to talk about is abolishing hunger and poverty. And a big part of hunger, of course, is uh, is you know agriculture and uh, and why and why isn't there enough food in the world? Well, perhaps because in part we don't have enough fresh water to uh, uh, for agriculture. And uh, and if if we have uh, a, a limitless amount of uh, of water available with the huge desalination plants, uh, you, you can turn the deserts green. And uh, and feed the world. That's yeah, I, I think that's great. Harvey, was that your thinking? Solve uh, yeah. hunger and poverty. Yeah. yeah, I was. I was thinking that uh, that would uh, touch on several of the categories, and and definitely uh, the the environment as well. You know, uh, right. Uh, if those were solar powered, uh, uh, that wouldn't create any uh, dangerous uh, waste. You know, I suppose depending on battery technology, and uh, but yeah, I just thought uh, water would uh, change the world. Maybe uh, uh, maybe uh, end uh, hunger and uh, and uh, some poverty and uh, have an effect on uh, crime then and and wind up uh, touching a, a lot of the different categories. Um, you know, uh, Harvey, if uh, if we're turning the deserts green, what are what are those plants doing? They're sequestering carbon, right? And uh, so that that helps the environment. And uh, and, and of course, uh, you've you mentioned the hunger. Well, that's right. We'll pull CO two out of the atmosphere because we've uh, we've we've created we're, we're, green surface on the planet. We'll terraform portions of Earth, in effect. Exactly. Exactly. Maybe. And I, I, you know, you, you say solar. You say solar, Harvey. I I, I would say that it's more likely. To get the power you need to run uh, huge desalinization plants, uh, it's more likely that you're going to go nuclear, and they've ar- they're already doing that in some places. Um, and I, I, I need to pull. I'll have an I'll have an article in uh, in the show notes about uh, some of these uh, joint projects of having uh, uh, nuclear power plants right next to a desalinization plant where they're um, uh, they're they're producing fresh water out of the ocean and. Uh, and so, anyway, but yeah, that's and and you're not uh, you're not you're not producing a lot of CO2 with the nuclear power plants, that's for sure. So, you yeah. had something else you wanted to say, Harv? No, that's it. Uh, okay. Thanks. Well, that's, thanks for taking that's my That's a biggie, though. That's a biggie. Thanks, Harv. I Harvey. think it's a great idea. I think you can uh, you can fix the environment. You can uh, you can potentially uh, solve hunger, solve poverty. One thing I was going to say, Stephen, you know, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Uh, a couple months ago, actually, at this point, we talked about uh, these crops that have been genetically engineered to require less water, and this is this is another approach to the same problem, right? It's like, well, you right. can genetically engineer the crops so they'll grow in a drier climate, or you can just take seawater, make it yep. uh, potable, make it so the plants can uh, uh, can live on it, and uh, and and you're growing food. I, I think uh, either way, you've got a you've got a great idea. Thanks thanks for that suggestion, Harvey, and you are now in the lead. Okay, for so the uh, fast forward radio coffee mug. So. That's right. So, uh, <laughs> Matt, you're going to need to step up, bud. Uh, yeah, time to step up. Okay, so let's let's move on. Was was that our next one? Which which one do you want to tackle next? There. Well, we were the next one was going to be abolish hunger and poverty, and that's that's a pretty good one. We've talked recently uh, in the last couple of weeks uh, about vertical farms in the cities, uh, taking you know maybe perhaps taking an old skyscraper that's that's sitting empty or something, and uh, and turn it into a giant greenhouse so that you don't have to trans- transport food in. You're not uh, you're growing you know enough food for a lot of people, and you know the idea is it'll be completely organic because it's enclosed. You're not you're not going to have a problem with insects and disease and things. You 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 grow it right there inside that tower, and 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 uh, and it's available right there. Uh, you can you can even have uh, like a, a farmers market right there within the, the within the first couple of floors of the building. So it's uh, yeah, um, that, uh, it's a great idea, and I I, I think that that's that would work well also with a desalinization plant. Imagine a de- imagine a nuclear power plant right next to a desalinization plant that's uh, you know funneling water straight to a, a skyscraper tower, uh, growing food for the city right there within the city. Sure. 
Yeah, or I would think if you had some way of uh, uh, if you had some way of uh, distributing it, uh, a, a solar approach like Harvey is talking about would probably be pretty effective too, since the yeah. ocean is so huge. Um, you know, there's there's probably some good way to capture the heat that that is naturally landing on the ocean and and somehow use that to to convert it to uh, uh, to, to fresh water. Although I'm not uh, I'm not completely sure what that would be. But I th- those are those are both great ideas, and I I, I do love the idea of um, what we talked about a few weeks ago was just just take all the abandoned buildings in the New York area, turn them into these vertical farms. Um, find power for them, which would be the nuclear or the solar or what have you, and uh, you, you, suddenly you've got enough food for all of New York City. It's just it's an amazing uh, it's an amazing thought. Well, that's hunger. Now, what are we going to do about poverty? Okay, poverty. I mean, it's the the problem with poverty is that uh, you know it's it's not it's not evenly distributed. You know, I mean, it's not like. Um, you look at you can look at the entire world and say, okay, there's this many poor people, and this many rich people in the world, and and then you, you, there's no place in the entire world though that you can go, okay, it's evenly distributed. You got this number of rich people, and then right next door there's this number of poor people. It doesn't work that way, and so and there, and in poor place poor places in the world tend to stay poor because they don't have access to the the networks that the rich people are plugged into. Uh, getting richer and richer, whereas the, the poor people are isolated and, and are not plugged in. And uh, so I, I guess globalization is, is, as, much as, some, uh, as much as it's been demonized by many people, I think it's probably the best an- answer to world poverty. Uh, plug more people into the networks and uh, allow them the opportunities to, uh, to, to compete in the workplace uh, that, that rich countries have always had. Well, I think um, if you look at the last 20 years, 30 years of human history, the uh, case has been made, and I think it's probably true, that more people have been lifted out of poverty over that period of time than at any other time in human history. And you have to look at that. And, uh, you know, in the People's Republic of China alone, people are leaving poverty at uh, – an absolutely unprecedented rate in human history. It's it's uh, and and something similar, not quite as dramatic, but similar, happening in India. Right. And you say, okay, what are the causes of this? What is lifting people out of poverty? Um, we we would like to think that some big organized plan is doing it, and we could say, okay, well, we've done something, so let's do more of that. But it seems to be a combination of um, technology and free markets. Those seem to be, if, if, you're, if you're really going to honestly say, what is it that's pulling people out of, tech, out of poverty, it's those two things working together that, that make that possible. And That's an anathema to some people. So, you know, uh, uh, if it's, some people just don't like to hear that. But it's, you know, evil capitalism is what is helping more people than anything else. And well, it, it, I don't know about evil. But uh, apparently, <laughs> capitalism is, and, and, and it's one of those—it's uh, one of those kind of paradoxes. Because what we want to think, uh, what we're inclined to think, and uh, <laughs> what I grew up believing, is that um, you, you know the, the, the best solution to poverty would surely be uh, some kind of vast redistributionist system. You know, where you say, okay, well, these—you know—what you were talking about before. Some people seem to be rich, others seem to be poor. Let's do the Robin Hood thing. Let's iron it out. And everybody will be okay. Those that's a pro- uh, that kind of program is appropriate, I think, when it, to deal with a short-term crisis. If you got millions of people starving to death in the Sudan or someplace, and then ship them some food, but you know, but ultimately, it's a whole lot better to teach a person to fish than to give them a fish. You know. Well, um, yeah. I mean, that's that's the old that's the old saying, and it appears to be a true old saying. It, it, yeah. it appears that. Um, I mean, what, what did what did China do? Well, they said um, it, we're going with the old. It's glorious to become wealthy. We're throwing off uh, most of our most of our controls on free enterprise. We're allowing people to start their own businesses. We're allowing people to own private property. Um, we're allowing them to uh, to use technology in ways that they haven't been able to. And you know, you see six, seven, eight, nine, ten percent growth every year for what now? Fifteen. 15 years anyway, probably, in the People's Republic of China. Uh, unprecedented, again, in world history, 
and uh, I think a real signpost to uh, what can work. I think you, you, you give people choices and you give people opportunities and they, and they can lift themselves out of poverty better than other people can lift them out of it. And I think that's probably what most people want. What, what most people want is an opportunity to uh, have their own livelihood, to, to you know, own some property or to you know, have something that um, a, a, good, a good job or a, a piece of a business, but, but something that's their own, something that they can creatively engage with or that they can engage with every day and you know, direct their own life. Right. Because I think it's not just it's not just economic freedom. I think it's personal individual liberty that also comes into play, and that's the other thing that probably has, uh, although some would argue not to the extent that it should have, but you know you can quibble about those things. That's the other thing that has uh, the, the genie that's kind of been let out of the bottle in China over the same period of time is people are much freer there than they were under, say, you know Mao during the Cultural Revolution. So if you set people free and you set markets free, it looks like that. Uh, does a lot towards uh, lifting people out of poverty. Will technological development and free markets on their own lift everybody out of poverty across, around the world? I don't think so. I think that uh, it would be nice to think that's the case, but I don't think that's the case. I think that... Well, here's, here's why I would disagree, Phil, because... Okay. Um, we we won't... We, you know, it won't be us that are lifting people out of this, you know, by plugging them in. Uh, to a large extent, it's these these people that are reaching out and grabbing the opportunities that come to them, and um, and they're not going. They don't necessarily remake, you know, their poor country into a suburb of Denver. You know, they they become, you know, <laughs> they become whatever it is that they choose to become, and so um, I guess the, so. I, I guess it's just another way of saying that. Throughout the world, the, the world is not going to become homogenous just because uh, perhaps you know more of the world becomes developed. Uh, and I don't know if I'm necessarily addressing the problem I had with what I just with what you just said, Phil. Uh, but oh, well, that's okay. I, I think you're right. I, I, I and I don't think that that striving for a homogenous world is even a good idea. Yeah. I think yeah. that um, what's 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 great about allowing uh, individual liberty, individual initiative. Uh, to come into play is that uh, all around the world people will find different approaches and different solutions. And uh, Speaking of different solutions, Michael is talking about something in the chat room. Michael, um, one, th I mean, one thing that, uh, that may happen uh, that, you're that you mentioned a couple times here in the chat is that you may not see uh, a, uh, the same sort of uh, industrial uh, factories and things in some places of the world that you, do, uh, that you see in the United States. Uh, they might do it a different way. They might have fab labs. Uh, that do and and they make their own things in a in a very small a much smaller scale, but for maybe just their community. And I'm not here, Michael. Have we lost Michael, Michael again? Okay, we've lost we, him again. Okay, well, uh, Michael, call back again. Yeah, yeah, call, call back when you get a chance. But um, uh, oh, you might want to do that trick you did. Yeah, I, I, I just did it. Oh, okay. Um, uh, the cross talk on the uh, professionally produced radio program. Um, the uh, yeah, I think I think the thing is that just as food distribution, if it's done locally, you know, we talk about th think of how much uh, uh, th think of how much you save if all that food for New York City was produced right there in New York City. Or anyway, everybody knows that it makes sense if you go to the supermarket and it says, uh, you know, these cantaloupes were locally grown. That that you're saving, uh, th that's good for the environment, right? That's and it's good for your local economy. It's just a good thing if if things are produced as close to home as possible. That's one of the uh, uh, kind of trends people have been working towards over the over the last few years. Well, what if it's Michael, not? Michael, uh, uh, did you have a contribution to make on that Fab Lab stuff? Uh, no, you pretty much got it. I, I think um, you know, bigger picture, the the poverty as a question becomes a uh, uh, grammatical. Uh, definitional thing, and it becomes a a, a disparity thing because I, I don't know. I suppose in a hundred years, somebody could look at my lifestyle today and say, "Oh, that guy's in poverty." But if I look at somebody that was living a hundred years ago, aspiring to the lifestyle that I live today, it would have been like y y you'd have to be Nelson Rockefeller. You, you know, you just couldn't picture how 
how attainable um, this level is. So if you, if you ignore the disparity and just say, well, poverty is really all about uh, food and health and, and subsistence at an existence level, um, that's where the fab labs, that's where I, it's like, yeah, food, food's always a problem in some areas. It's yeah. not a yeah, problem everywhere. And where food is, is not a problem, people don't starve. And where it is a problem, it's a distribution issue. But for the rest of the, quote, material wealth, uh, fab labs and yeah. electricity, of course. So uh, I guess the keys to eliminating poverty in places like uh, out-of-the-way out of places of the world uh, would be um, education again, uh, you know, creating situations where they can um, make their make their own food and and uh, Harvey's idea of, uh, of of having plenty of water available so that they can grow their own food and things like that. Yeah. Um, yep. Well, but then you give them a fab lab, and they're going to build themselves a solar collector. They're going to build themselves a laptop. Uh, they're going to get on the internet, and uh, you know they're going to start uh, some kind of business on uh, the internet or something. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, and, then, it's, and the second they, they, they do it, they're going to realize that somebody else has a better fab lab than they do, and they're going to feel poor again. <laughs> well, again, it's not. It's not about you know. Maybe that's a good thing that they feel that somebody feels poor again, and then they strive harder, and then they you know they go out and make more money. But um, but uh, you know, if you solve the basic problems of okay, they've got you know the, they've got enough to eat, they've got enough to you know they've got enough water, they uh, they're going to make it. Then uh, then after that, then they, the opportunities to to do much better than. Uh, it would make you know they they would have those opportunities, but if you're starving, you're not going to uh, you're not going to be able to plug in uh, to you know a global economy. It just doesn't happen if 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 your basic needs have not been met. This is Fast Forward Radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network. Phil, Stephen, and Michael, we're talking about solving all the world's problems. There is a Fast Forward Radio coffee mug limited collector's edition in play, and if you'd <laughs> like to compete for that give us your thoughts on how to solve these problems either join us in the chat room or give us a call 347-215-8972 well i can see by the way the hour is passing that uh, i'm going to officially now declare this the first of two parts which i probably should have said um so we'll, we'll do some of these topics tonight maybe we'll pick this up again next week too i don't think we're going to solve all the world's problems in one night that's unrealistic we'll do it over a, a, a two-week period <laughs> yeah that's because that's much more realistic <laughs> yeah, I think that's a lot more realistic. You know, finally, okay, real, reality has caught up with us. So let's uh, something I want to say about hunger. Um, this 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 is one something you encounter around hunger and poverty that um, I, I I don't think um, you, you necessarily encounter with with other problems. I mean, people people tend to take a a, a kind of negative and fatalistic view towards all of these, but with with hunger and poverty, at least within a Christian culture, they also throw this one at you. Have you ever heard this one? Well, Jesus said, the poor you always have with you. you, you yeah, I mean, and, and that, that's right there in the Bible. But, you know, the thing is, uh, it, it, you know, I don't, I don't think that uh, that's meant to say that you, you shouldn't try to address, address poverty. You know? Well, I, I don't either. I think that's crazy. I think, you know, A, it wasn't a commandment. Right. right. It was an observation, and and B, it was like if Jesus had said, you know, you can't walk through a river without getting your feet wet. We'd say, okay, don't build insulated boots. Right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, yeah. You know, Jesus observed a problem. Therefore, uh, it, it, you know, therefore we, we shouldn't even try to do anything about the problem. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense, does it? Yeah, I think that word always uh, has become an excuse, and people say, well, we're not going to do anything in poverty. I mean, Jesus said. And and I think it I think that's nothing but but an excuse, um, and, and I think most of the and, and it's, these, a, it's sort of an anti-Christian excuse. I mean, uh, if if there's anything that can be you know, to, charity has always been a central tenet of the religion, and uh, exactly right. And so it's it's a bit it's a bit anti-Christian to try to use that to say let's not even try to help poor people. So, yeah. Anyway, anyway I, I didn't yeah. think it was likely to come up tonight, but it's a pet peeve, so I thought I would uh, throw that one out there. Okay, let's let's move on to uh, I think the the third and final uh, of the world's problems that we're going to solve this evening, uh, and that would be should should we do terrorism or do you, do you want to yeah let's do terrorism other? let's jump in on okay terrorism. we're going to do terrorism and this is where I'm going to give another shout out to Harvey because uh, I said I had two inspirations for the 
program tonight. One was David Schwartz's book, and the other was uh, not the most recent now because he's cranking them out so fast, but the second most recent uh, video that uh, Harvey put up. He he actually uh, okay. All of his most recent videos, as all of his videos, are excellent. But uh, he's got one on uh, the uh, Maslow hierarchy of needs that everyone needs to watch. So I think we're going to have to put that one up there because hey, that's uh, one of my favorite subjects too. I I keep trying to find a way to talk about Maslow's hierarchy of needs at the Speculus, and it just never I just never can find the right way to present it. But anyway, so I have to. Well, okay, that. look at look at how Harvey presents it. I think it's about as straightforward as you're ever going to see uh, anybody present this subject. So uh, uh, check that out. And and then and then his next. Uh, Discussion was on uh, what do we do about terrorism, and he had he had two ideas that he threw out. One was that uh, you don't combat it uh, either as a law enforcement problem or a military problem; that you need a solution in between, which I thought was very interesting, very innovative uh, thinking. And the other thing he said was you go to the root cause and you address things we already talked about: poverty and um, education. That right. if if uh, if people weren't poor and desperate. And if people were pro- properly educated, on the one hand, and and, and if you have uh, th- this this other kind of means of combating it, on the other hand, uh, you you start to really eliminate the problem of of terrorism. Now, w- let's go to the interdiction part in a minute. What do you think of Harvey's uh, prevention ideas? Well, um, I, th- I think that there are occasions That's stated where very briefly by me, he 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 says it better, obviously. Okay. Okay. Um, I would I would say that um, that there are times and places for a military solution uh, to ter- the problem of terrorism, and also uh, there are law law enforcement solutions, and um, perhaps there's there's room also for something in between. Uh, but I mean, you know, if if you if you have if you have information on where you know the commanders of Al Qaeda are in, in in Afghanistan, and they're staying in a building. Well, you can go blow that building up. You know, I mean that's uh, that is that is a good for the world when when those guys are taken out, and that's a military operation. Uh, so you know, I I, I I wouldn't be ready to say that you know that solutions necessarily don't need to be military. I think that there are you know milita- you know the the military solutions that have been in place since uh, since nine eleven. I think are, are to a great extent the reason why we have not been attacked at that level again. Well, hardly at all since 9/11. Um, well, okay. The, so the bad guys are the bad guys are busy running and hiding rather than uh, planning their next big attack. Stephen, you went to the interdiction, and I was trying to stay on the root cause. I know, I know, I know. That's okay. I, I'll, let, I'll let you go back to the the root cause. You're going to be the last one to get a mug. I'm just. I'm just <laughs> right. Yeah, that's right. No <laughs> doubt that's way true. Down the list hey, I, I wasn't holding out much hope. Uh, I, I must say. <laughs> Let's stick with the interdiction piece for a minute, though, because I think uh, uh, I, I think that uh, I, I think it's I think it's interesting. And what I, what I took from that was I, I like the idea of something kind of in between, something kind of lean and mean. By, by and, the way, uh, Michael says he's going to fab his own mug. <laughs> well, if he gets the Fab Lab going, he can make us all one. It will cost us less than uh, what I'm going to have to pay at Cafe Press. So by all means, no, no um, doubt. I'm sorry. Go ahead. First, first one goes to Harvey, though. Um, uh, I, I like the idea of, uh, especially if it's a, a technology-driven solution. I like the idea of there being something that uh, that doesn't involve putting a lot of uh, a lot of uh, boots on the ground where not necessary, not not uh, putting a lot of lives at risk. And you know, outside of the subject of specific wars we're currently involved in, which just open up this huge. Uh, uh, you know, can of worms to to talk about yeah. the the idea that we could, if if we could interdict effectively um, in in a much more targeted way, exactly the way you're talking about, right? I mean, it's like when the satellite tells you where the guy is, you know, and you know he's the guy, right? Right. And it's like, and and you can take him out, and you're not going to take anybody else out. That's the kind of thing we're ultimately shooting for, uh, literally and figuratively. We you know we we we, we want to have a situation where uh, where technology is going to make it possible. To um, to get much more pinpointed in uh, interdicting with these cases, but I want to go back to the uh, to the root cause piece. That's where I wanted to start with that. You know, whether whether addressing poverty, which I would want to do, uh, we've talked about anyway, uh, as a as an end unto itself, um, and providing education is sufficient to fighting the problem. And I would say maybe not. And the reason I would say maybe not, I think it depends on what you mean by 
education. But we have this we, we, we have this uh, situation where there's not a one-on-one, one-to-one correspondence between poverty and desperation and acts of terrorism, right? You've got some desperately poor people who don't become terrorists, right? And you've got some terrorists who aren't desperately poor. So yeah, Bin Laden it, being a great example of that. Well, Bin Laden is kind of your case in point, right? Uh, but but even the 9/11 uh, attackers were. Uh, by and large, fairly well-educated and fairly uh, um, prosperous, or you know, uh, affluent for for uh, uh, for the populations they represented. So, although I think that if you if you if you take poverty out of the equation, everything does get a lot better. Uh, there's right. no, there's no question about that. I'm not sure that you absolutely solve this particular problem because I think that uh, people commit these acts for reasons other than uh, economics, and um, and that's where the education piece that uh, Harvey was talking about comes in, and I think that that's an important piece. But I think that it goes beyond that. Probably, I think you, you get to the point where you have to, w- what I have described metaphorically, is wage an all-out meme war, yeah. where um, uh, ultimately people have to be exposed to ideas other than very insular um, fear of the other kinds of ideas that. Uh, and I am not suggesting that chicks dig terrorists. Uh, that that is uh, uh, <laughs> absolutely uh, as far from what I'm saying. As, uh, <laughs> I, thanks for your contribution there, Michael. But no, that's not what I'm saying. You don't, no um, mug for Michael. <laughs> <laughs> he's not getting a mug. He can't even make his own. Um, what 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 I am saying what I am saying is that um, that that this is a struggle that goes on uh, beyond economics. Um, and beyond even rudimentary and fundamental uh, basic education, it goes into a, a kind of uh, uh, opening up the world. I think if, if people are given a choice, if you give somebody a choice between, hey, you can have this really insular worldview and view others as the other that have to be destroyed, and uh, you can have a view that says others are interesting and you should interact with them, that People are really going to go for that second choice. I think that that throughout history, when when they actually have the choice, that's what they pick. And uh, Harvey even says that uh, the, these new communication to- technologies can help bring people out of their culture cages. And I think that's true. I think that's what has to happen. You, you think about uh, what we were trying to do back during the Cold War with Radio Free Europe. I think that the the, the free part of the world has to offer um, new perspectives and new ideas and, and new ways of looking at the world to those who otherwise wouldn't have them. And I think that is the piece that until that happens effectively, you don't, you don't get rid of terrorism. But once, you, once that does happen effectively and you've addressed those other problems, I think we're on our way. Saudi Arabia um, has, is, I think that the government of Saudi Arabia is in a good position to address terrorism. And a better, in some, in some ways, and in some instances, better, better position than our own government. They have been promoting for years a certain sect or certain branch of, of um, the Muslim faith called, I believe, I'm, I'm believing we pronounce it correctly, Wahhabism, mm-hmm. and um, and it's a particularly, uh, it's more prone uh, to produce terrorists than other sects and branches of of the Muslim faith, and. Uh, Part of it is that it's used by the government has been promoting this as a way of blaming, you know, getting the population within Saudi Arabia blaming others for their plight. You know, if if they if they hate Jews and hate you know the great Satan in the United States and you know every you know everybody else is putting you in this place. It's not us, you know, uh, up at the top robbing uh, robbing the oil and living like you know. Uh, like kings, which is what they are, but uh, you know, it's 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 these other people that are making your life so miserable, um, right. and 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 so it it's it's you know it's performed this function. This this uh, particular branch of the Muslim faith has performed this function for the ruling class of Saudi Arabia. Now, if Saudi Arabia ever wants to step into the modern world, then perhaps they can promote a different branch of of the Muslim faith, uh, that uh, a more peaceful branch, a, a more cosmopolitan, with a more cosmopolitan outlook on the world. Uh, then you know, hey, you know, do so, guys, and, and it's come step into the modern world and join us. And uh, you know, you don't you don't have to promote terrorism. And you know, 
um, and th- their country could uh, could uh, you know the, they they could bring the bottom up, and that would be that'd be good for them too. Um, I, I would I would suspect that, that would that that is something that needs to happen, and I'm not sure what we we can do in the United States. Uh, that's something that. Uh, this, uh, people in, in places like Saudi Arabia are going to have to uh, decide for themselves. Well, I think that um, what I, I don't know that it's you know I, I guess I'm not talking at the level of what governments can do. Although um, there's a discussion going on about the Saudis have put forward an Arab Peace Initiative, which um, um, has you know at least put it out there that they'd like to see the whole uh, Middle East problem solved. Um, and that they're ready to invest heavily in it. Again, you know, that I think is great. Um, I, what I'd also like to see is like start letting women drive. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah small steps. Small steps. You know. Yeah. You know, it's like okay, sure, um, ma- making overtures uh, to uh, solving peace on a geopolitical uh, uh, standpoint is good, but um, allowing people to think their own thoughts and to control their own destinies is. Uh, is a huge part of what really needs to happen um, in, in order for freedom of religion might be a nice thing to try, uh, that they could think about doing too. You know, um, yeah, allowing well, I, I, allowing a single and, and, Christian and church in the country. On Saudi Arabia. Yeah, um, it's, it's not. Yeah, it's not just Saudi Arabia. It's whole it's whole areas of the of the world that are like that. But uh, but yeah, it, it's particularly galling. Now, Matt points out that the Christian counterpart to Wahhabism is Reconstructivist Dominion theology. I think it would be very informative to detail why this sect is almost extinct. And uh, Harvey points out that some Arab countries have religious freedom. All true. Well, yeah, that, that is true. Certainly yeah. not, this is not our, our uh, attempt to bash Arabs, right? That's, that's, that's not what we're about. I think Saudi Arabia, though, uh, in, in terms of their approach to uh, human liberty, represents just about the antithesis of uh, a lot of the stuff that I think would... Would would help to uh, eliminate terrorism in the world. But again, we're 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 not talking just about terrorism as it occurs in the Muslim world. We're talking about uh, we're talking about what causes it overall. And I think what causes it overall is people having insular views of the world. People not uh, seeing others as people that uh, are one, that that they can be in community with, that they can be in relationship with. If you view the other as somebody who has to be despised and destroyed, um, I think that's where the real terrorist mindset comes from. Right, right. And I want to get back to something that Matt said because I think he was in the he was in the competition here for the for the mug, and now I have to. Uh, we got talking about other stuff, so I, I didn't. Uh, oh, Matt, uh, I want you to follow up on the. Here it is. The concept of costly authentication is useful to the terrorism issue. If a young man. Uh, who's a possible recruit for a terrorist organization knows for certain that he's giving up a worth. Explain that one a little further. We're, we're well, I, 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 I think I know where he's going with this. If if a, if, a, if a man has hope about his life, let's say let's say you're 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 17 years old, and um, and it looks like you have the opportunity to get a job, uh, you know, marry a marry a beautiful woman, settle down, have a bunch of kids, live a long life, and be happy. Then you're not going to become a terrorist. That uh, a terrorist is what you become when, when it doesn't look like there's any opportunities to go get a job. You, you know, there's not going to be an opportunity to uh, to marry. You know, that, that's that um, that's the sort of thing you do when that's when that's the case. You know, so I think is that what is, Matt is, is that what you were talking about? Okay. Um, oh, it says it broke up his comment. So all right. And now Stephen is saying chicks dig non-terrorists. Exactly. You know, you know, Michael, we don't actually allow that word on the program. That's, that's just language. We don't talk that way on uh, Fast Forward Radio. Yeah, we, well, we, prefer, we prefer the language skirt, but at any rate. <laughs> no, we don't. All right. Well, I, I think we're heading into non-productive uh, territory at this point, uh, and we are running a little bit uh, past our time. This has been really, uh, I think, interesting and i've enjoyed so much uh the commentary that we've gotten from the chat room tonight and our caller um i think we're going to keep the competition open though harvey not to say you won't get the mug but uh, i think we're going to we're going to extend this uh to next week so we'll uh we'll pick it up with war and uh disease and uh uh whatever the other one was i'm not looking at it right now 
Uh, oh, well, yeah, the, fixing the environment. No big deal. Yeah. We'll, yeah, we'll save that for the last five minutes. That's, that's <laughs> okay. an easy one. Um, we, we need Harvey to say what size mug he wants. Oh, well, not yet. We have yet. three sizes. We, not so we, and friggin' huge! <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, I'm sure he wants friggin' huge. Um, <laughs> All right, so uh, we're going to wrap this discussion up for tonight. Stephen, this has been uh, extremely fun. What do we got going on music-wise this evening? James Casto um, uh, apparently loves his hometown of Alpharetta, Georgia. And so he's written a song, and uh, it's called Awesome Alpharetta. Awesome Alpharetta. And I think we agreed earlier that if people would just get into their own hometowns a little more, that uh, most of these problems in the world would uh, start to dissipate somewhat, right? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to listen to Awesome Alpharetta. We'll have show notes up uh, with uh, links to some of Harvey's videos and other things we've been talking about uh, eh, sometime tonight or, or keep checking back. Uh, Stephen will get him up there when he can. Uh, Michael, thanks uh, to you and to everyone in the chat room for your contributions. Yep. Uh, uh, you're welcome. It, yeah, that's been great. Thanks, Michael. And we look forward to uh, being with you all again next week when we'll solve the rest of the world's problems on the next Fast Forward Radio. Good night. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.